Good morning. And what a, what a week, what a weekend, what a morning it's been. Um, maybe some of you are not aware, but uh, uh, Baghdadi, the leader of ISIS, who beheaded so many Christians, has been, uh, been killed in a raid this mo- early this morning. Kanye West on Thursday night made a surprise visit to and professed his faith in Jesus Christ, dropping an album called Jesus is King. Yeah, I can see some of you didn't know that. I'm not paid to, but I know about these things. <laughs> I, I sincerely say this, uh, be praying for the Middle East and be praying for Kanye West. That's a very difficult place to be. And uh, on Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Kimmel asked him, uh, so do you think of yourself as a Christian artist, a music artist? And he said, I think of myself as Christian everything. So, a lot of people have heard some of the lyrics from his music, and it's, uh, it's quite inspiring. So, be praying for him. Be praying for one another. Confess your sins to one another. That's what James tells us to do. So, that's, uh, that's a good word in the light of such uh, amazing things. A James... I thought it just so perfect, at least to my heart, that this was the last Sunday in James before we go into November, First Fruits. I'll be speaking on Nehemiah, four messages out of Nehemiah in November. And so, uh, you know, I was away a week, and this, this week was just full in many, many ways. And before I got back from vacation, I hadn't even kind of reviewed James, and as we got into this week and uh, the last part of last week, I just thought, oh, Lord, you bless my soul, because in these verses, 13 through 18, the last part of uh, chapter 5, the end of his letter, it's all about prayer, all about prayer. In fact, the w- words for prayer in these verses Verses 13 through 18. If my math is right, that's five verses. Is that right? Maybe six, depending on how you count. But anyway, eight times words for prayer occur in those verses. So keep that in mind. If you, if you look for them in your English Bible, in, let me tell you this, in verse 17 when he says, Elijah prayed fervently, well, the word, that's how it's translated in English, but it's, to be quite literal, it would be Elijah, by prayer, prayed. And English translators think that's a little bit more fervent, so they translate it fervently. But the point is, is that there's two words for prayer right there in that eight. So uh, keep that in mind if you're counting. Let's read it together. Let's read what James has to say about prayer. Is any one of you in trouble? Pray. (laughs) Yeah. Is anyone happy? Pray. Although he actually says, sing praise, because he uses the word for expressing what the psalmists express. They express their praise, their glorification, their acknowledgement of God in kind of lyrical, poetic. They, they just, they're full of the wonder of what God has done, his goodness. They are inflated with his grandeur, and so they put that into words and they express it. So he says, if you're happy, if you're cheerful, praise the Lord. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. So it's the elders that are going to pray over and anoint 
in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was such a guy, such a man, just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. It's been a few years now, but I'll never forget it when, when both uh, our kids were in, in high school. And uh, there was an evening where, where one was brokenhearted and in tears, distraught. And I thought, I've got to, you know, I've got to do something. So I knocked on the door and I went in and tried to talk a little bit. And then I, I said, why don't you let me pray with you? No, I tried it. It didn't work. It hasn't been uh, that long since I captured a tweet that raised this. So I'm curious, do you think prayer works? And in Twitterdom, a thread is all the responses. And so I was reading the thread. I was interested in how all these different people responded to this question. And a guy that I follow and that follows me, this is what he said. Interesting question. It's kind of like asking, does conversation work? When my grandson was four, 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 he and some of the other greatest grandchildren in all the world were uh, playing in the water, and I got home, you know, uh, it was late afternoon, a warm day, but I was kind of dressed, and uh, I had some, some shoes that were leather and, and new, maybe only worn a couple of times. And in all the fun, big gob of water got splashed on him, so I just kind of did this, you know, on my pant leg, but I tried to go inside. I just slipped away because I thought, I got to take that that, those shoes off, dry them, and, and dress into something more appropriate. And well, Shelly comes in while I'm changing, and she says, Jacob needs to talk to you. So I said, okay, I'll be right out. So I, I go out, and I'm, I'm walking up to Jacob. He's sitting in a chair, a lounge chair, and he says, he says, Bob, we need to have a conversation. Four years old. Bob, that's what they call me, Bob. The girls call me Boppy. You can call me Bob. You can call me Boppy. But you know, we had a wonderful little conversation there. I wanted to clear the air and make sure that, no, Jake, I wasn't, I wasn't upset at you. I just wanted to, you know, dry off the shoes and get dressed into something, you know, we can play in. And uh, that put everything, he thought he had offended me. You know, it's interesting. We trust people who love us. We trust people who love us. Unless that love is in question, we trust them. We believe them. We accept what they say to us. And when we have a conversation that's based in love, boy, it's a good thing. It's always good. Good things happen. Understanding, you know, partnership. We, you're, you're ready to move and agree and, and do the kinds of same things. Sometimes commitment loyalty, purpose are strengthened when you have a conversation based on, on love. God is a loving parent. And I've, I got to thinking this week, you know, I could tell you a lot about prayer. I mean, 
so I'm curious, do you think prayer works? I could tell you all you need to know, you know? But that's not the way prayer works. It's not about the mechanics. It's about the conversation. It's about the relationship that you have with God. So I thought it important to remind us how much God loves us. In our staff meetings, we're going through this book. It's by John Weiss. It's called Jesus Prom. I'm not recommending the book, per se. I haven't read it all. Um, But I liked what we read last Wednesday, and I was doing the reading, and I, I got teared up. I didn't blow it. You know, I kind of kept my cool, but I think they knew I was uh, struggling as I read this because it touched me deeply, and it reminded me so much of a parent's love, of God's love for me, that he is a parent, and I am his child, and that what's true of me is true of you in Christ. So let me begin. Fifteen minutes later, Ava Joy was born all two pounds of her, three months early. At least 10 doctors discussed with Allison, that's the author's wife, and with me, all the potential complications Ava could face in life. Hearing loss, blindness, a litany of other developmental challenges. Honestly, the list was longer than I could have imagined, but at the time, that didn't matter to me. I was a dad, and dads don't care what their children can or can't do. We love them. And the reason I loved Ava was because she was mine. I helped make her. Part of me was in her. In the middle of the night when no one else was around, I stared into the little glass tube where my little girl was fighting for her life. And it hit me. God has heard all the reports about me. And in spite of how grave they are, in spite of my spiritual prematurity, he loves me. Because in the purest, truest sense of the word, God is a dad, and part of him is in me, and part of him is in you. We are his children, and he loves us as we are. I stood over Ava's incubator and wanted what was best for her. Whatever the cost, whatever the procedure, I pleaded with the doctors to do what they could to help her. When I read the Bible, it is like a love letter from a lovesick dad to his homesick children. And in it, he says, whatever the cost, whatever the procedure, even if it means giving my life for yours, I will do it. I will pay it. I will go through it for you so you can live. I watched medical professionals cut my daughter, poke her, prod her, and put her through the proverbial medical ringer. And through all of it, I didn't want her to go through it alone. So I would sit by her bed, I would stand by her bed, I would eat and sleep by her bed. I wanted her to hear and know my voice. When I read the Bible, I hear the voice of my father say, I will never fail you, I will never abandon you. Hebrews 13.5. I stood over Ava's incubator so proudly, I sang, Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And when I got to the part in this song that says, little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong, I would cry. By the way, Uh, That was one of the points I cried because I remember my grandmother holding me in her arms and singing those songs over me. I would cry, my daughter was so small I could fit my wedding band over her thigh. 
I still can't sing that song without crying because of Zephaniah's words. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Zephaniah 3.17. You have a dad who sings over you. He's so proud of you. The Bible teaches that he has your name written on the palm of your hand. The same hand that took a nail for you. He didn't go through that pain so you could spend your entire life questioning whether or not he really loves you. He really loves you. And before you can be his follower, you have to be his child. Maybe we need a better understanding of what prayer is and is not. But this morning, if we listen to James, he will tell us, bring it to the Lord in prayer. Bring everything in your life to the Lord in prayer. He loves you. And unless we realize he loves us, unless he wants a conversation, and we know that, and he welcomes it. If you've ever read the entire work of Hebrews, it's all about the boldness that we have in Christ to enter into the intimate, holy place of God, which throughout his history with his people, until the accomplished work of Jesus Christ, no one but the high priest, one high priest, purified perfectly, you know, totally consecrated, only on that day after much ritual sacrifice and purification could enter into the Holy of Holies. And you are welcome in. Come on in. Of course I can be interrupted. And if we don't understand that or if we've lost sight of that this morning... It doesn't matter how much I tell you from James about what it means to pray or what God has done for us or will do for us in prayer. It won't mean a thing because you won't enter into a conversation. You won't turn to him about the little things. Just last Friday, boy, it's been quite a week for me. And Friday, as I was on my way to make a call on someone who is in assisted living and can't get out, can't be with us on Sundays, we do get out to visit. And I was on my way. I left the office a little early to make that visit. And I was at uh, Ben Maddox traveling north and at Noble. And as I proceeded on a green light, um, I don't have a degree in driving, but I think it's green in which you are safe to proceed. And as I was proceeding into the middle of the intersection, I didn't even see it coming. There was a red flash, and I was hit. And uh, then all kinds of chaos took place. I wasn't able to make the visit that day. But it was a long day, and after I settled down, have you ever been in an accident? I hope you never are, but uh, I've been in a couple, and uh, it's a buzz. That's about the best way I can put it. It's a buzz. It's like all the lights are on, and the electricity is just really, really humming, you know? So uh, I really tried to quiet down, got the insurance thing going, and it's it's into the middle of the evening now, uh, three, three and a half, maybe even four hours have passed, and I reach into my, Shelly's been so great, she even came out to the site to help me and stuff, it's, it's, it's wonderful, marriage gets better and better and better and better. Um, it would be perfect if we just had enough time. But anyway, I have a little basket next to my easy chair, and I reach in there to get a tube of lotion. You might not think a man like me would use lotion, but really, the hardiest and toughest of men do use lotion. And it wasn't there. It wasn't there. Where's my lotion? I get up, where? 
where's my lotion? Honey, have you seen my lotion? Who came in here and took my lotion? I'm really exasperated about my lotion, you know. I didn't pray about it. I did not pray about it. I didn't, I didn't pray about it. And uh, in my exasperation, uh, Shelly shut her little book and she said, you know, I'm going to go to bed. I don't, you can do the math on that, but, and then, you know, I, to this day, um, I, at that time, I did, I did not, had no inkling of what had happened. It was a huge mystery until the middle of the next day when I needed to call Shelley and I wanted to apologize, and I, and I did. I said, you know, I just, no excuses. And I remembered just now what I had done with it. It was all my fault. But I mean this in all sincerity. And I give you this story because it's very relevant. It's very true. It's very recent. It involves your pastor, the one who's talking to you about prayer. And the reality is is that whenever I pray, I can let go of things. I find that God gives me a peace I mean, if, I, if I'm in a conversation and I am aware that I am talking to God and not just myself, and I, I know who he is, that's one thing that does grow. You have to grow in your knowledge of who you're talking to. And that grows with faith. That grows with, with growing in Christ. But when you know who you're talking to and you talk to him about a tube of lotion, there is just a peace. And you know what? I, I just go, you know, God will take care of that. It'll show up. He'll, maybe it's not that important. Maybe the thing for me now is just to rest in him. Whatever it is, those are the kinds of things. Whether I'm sitting here on a Sunday morning and I think something needs to be fixed and I don't want to draw attention to myself, so I've got to let it go, right? I've got to be in a right heart. So I pray. God, you know this. You intervene. I'm, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to trust you for it and get back in the right space to worship you as I should. That's what we're talking about here in James. And there are three things James is going to tell us about when, when we think about bringing it to the Lord in prayer. Don't ignore his invitations. Invitations are everywhere. Invitations are tubes of lotion. Don't ignore his intercessors. He begins by talking to you as an individual, to me as an individual. He says, you in trouble, John? Pray. You happy, John? Praise. John, you can't get out of bed, you're so sick? Invite people into your life who will pray on your behalf and for you. That's an intercessor. People who enter into prayer with you, of course, but for you, and will be praying when you aren't praying. And by the way, let me just take this moment. You know, Shelly and, and, and the, so, some obviously, I went with, through it with her, but uh, Shelly went through uh, four or five months uh, with that colon cancer, the diagnosis, the, all the treatment, the surgery, the recovery, et cetera. Thank you for your prayers. So you really touched us deeply. Um, I know it would encourage you if somehow you had been witness to the way it, it ministered to us, how deeply uh, it touched us to learn. And we learned in different ways. You'd send a card or in a phone call or in a handshake, hey, I'm, or the way you'd ask me about her and I would pass it on. Those things matter, and that's a part of the family of God. It, you need to understand this reference to intercession is at the heart of the body of Jesus Christ, which is talked about across the pages of the New Testament. So we want to remember that invitations are everywhere. Intercessors are about us. We're not in this alone. We're not to go it alone. And we're not to ignore his incentives. God actually gives us incentives 
uh, to pray, and that's what I want to look at rather briefly. James lets us know when I draw attention to the first point about not ignoring his invitations. I already mentioned, you know, who's in trouble? Who's cheerful? Uh, Who's sick? Well, that tells us that when times are great and when times are not great. In other words, the whole spectrum of your life is covered in the invitation to have a conversation with your father and to pray. And James tells us, in effect, God really wants us to talk to him. This is true across the New Testament. If you're not familiar and you have not memorized, you should hide God's word in your heart as you have an opportunity. I'm going to read what I think is familiar, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. We've heard, we're hearing from James, but Paul says, have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving because we anticipate see so we can give thanks even though we haven't heard from God or seen anything change we know that God is at work he cares for us he wants to answer so we can be giving thanks even as we're pleading we can be praising and by the way when you start giving thanks, you know, we're, we're down here looking through a straw, right? And it's all, God, if he's going to work to answer my prayer, it's right there in, in the sight of that little straw. But you know what? When you start giving thanks, you throw the straw away, and you, re, you, you realize, wow, there are other ways God can be working in my life and moving. And when you give thanks, you'll begin to see that. You'll begin to open your mind and your heart to the ways God could be involved in your life and the lives of those around you in ways that are not completely selfish, which is usually where sometimes our prayers begin. And he goes on to say, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, God wants us to know his peace. Paul says, the apostle Paul says, it, his peace blows your mind. Well, he actually says it transcends our ability to reason it. That's a great peace. And it will keep our hearts and our minds safe in Jesus Christ. The apostle Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. He says, humble yourselves. In other words, what does that really mean? That means, hey, it's not all about you, and you're going to be talking to God. So realize who you are in relation to God. He says, humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God. That in due time, the proper time, the right time, he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties, all, not just the biggest, all of them on him, for he does care for you. So if we fail to bring it to the Lord in prayer, think about this. If you don't bring all that you can think of to the Lord, then you will not have eyes or a capacity to see all that God wants to do in your life. You'll not see answers to prayer because you won't be expecting God to answer. You'll be attributing the grace of God to the mechanics of dumb luck. You'll be thinking, you know, it would have happened anyway. I shouldn't have gotten so worked up about it. And you will never have eyes to realize, you know what? God is working in ways beyond my ability to even pray and ask him. He's ahead of me. He's around me. He's looking out for me. And his grace is all about me. You won't grow in Christ because you won't see God in Christ working in your life at all. 
And before you know it, you'll be wondering if there is a God. And you'll be so puny in the sourness and bitterness of your outlook on life, you'll become cynical. Everything, everything's going wrong. You'll be bitter about it. You'll bring it to the dinner table. You'll bring it to the conversations. You'll bring it to the job. You'll find a certain kind of weird glee by watching one person beat up another in the name of this or the name of that that you care about. And it won't be about Christ anymore at all. In fact, you may go to church for a while. You know, eh, it's kind of good, kind of a neat TED talk, kind of picks me up, you know. That's not what the Christian life is really all about. And when you're praying, you are recognizing God at work in your life. And your, your eyes are open to the seeing the grace of God everywhere you look. And you know what that does? That creates gratitude. And people who are grateful are content. People who are grateful are not greedy. People who are grateful do not have to be the center of attention. And people like that, they bring more than they need. And when they enter into difficult situations, they have resources and joy to pour out on others. They have goodness to bring into every situation because God has filled their heart with his grace, with his goodness. So bring it to the Lord in prayer that you might see how active and involved God is in your life and answering your prayers. Secondly, don't ignore his intercessors. Invite the elders. Who are the elders? Well, listen, elders were people who were faithful in, to the Lord and sincere in their faith. That's about the best definition I can give you. Today, elders are usually people who are leaders, but who do we make leaders? Do we make someone who just professed faith in Jesus Christ like Thursday? No. We're looking for a history. When I went, uh, when I pastored my first church, I thought, wow, you know, I, I'm here every Sunday. Why isn't everybody else here every Sunday? And the Lord impressed upon me, John, you got to be there every Sunday so that when people do show up, they find you there. That's when, that's when I'll be able to have maybe a special focus of work in that person's life. That's faithfulness, being there day in and day out. You need to be that way with your friends who have not yet turned to Jesus Christ, who have not yet seen the grace and the goodness of God, have not grasped what God has done in Jesus. You need to be there day in and day out. And after you establish that kind of faithfulness with honest faith, sincere faith, faith that's really vital and living, well, people will say, you know what? I need an intercessor. Will you pray for me? Will you be there for me? Sometimes they're called elders. Do you know why? Because they're olders. Yeah, they're olders in the Lord. And so in, in this case, today a lot of times these are pastors, but not, not always pastors who go to, like me who go to school and so forth. But the point is, is that we're looking for people who will intercede because of the capacity and the dimension of their faith in the Lord. And they are willing to go to prayer in their relationship of love to the Lord and love for you to be praying for you. Now, I want you to notice three things in verse 15. Uh, it says this, it says, the prayer offered in faith. See, the prayer of faith, that's the, the thing that is the focus, the prayer of faith. These elders are able to pray the prayer of faith. And the prayer of faith in verse 15 will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. 
and I want, there are three words that are used here, and I, I just, I put this together. I want to say it to you based on verse 15. Our safe deliverance, that's one. Our resurrection and our forget, forgiveness, that's three, is assured in the name of Jesus Christ. Anything short of that is topping. The topping of God's grace in, at work in his perfect will for us. Now the reason I'm wording that as I am is because what I said there in those three things are based on the three words that James uses. Those three words, the first one is used from Everything from our salvation won for us on the cross of Jesus Christ, you know, and, and his resurrection, down to being comforted and in a safe place, or being healed of a specific illness. That word can be used. It speaks, and I translated it here, safe deliverance. The word raise up. Obviously, it means the person, the word for weak here is a person who's probably too weak and is bedridden. And so to be raised up, it means that in this context, but it's the same word, the principal word that is used of Jesus being raised from the dead as well. And the last word for forgiveness, it says, notice how it says, if any, and if he has or she has, it could be a he or a she that we're talking about. This is an important thing that involves us all. If, if he or she has sinned, sin will be forgiven. It's, it's not an issue, is what he's saying. The prayer of faith will settle all of that. So what you have is like bookends from the particulars of the situation all the way to I just received Jesus Christ and the New Testament gospel tells me my sin is forgiven. I've been raised to newness of life, right? And I'm saved. And I think that's what James wants us to say. And I, I think... He wants every sick person to realize they can't touch what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. But if you prayed the prayer of faith, if people enter into that, in God's perfect will, not, not having to do with cause and effect, but God's will, he will bestow grace anywhere up unto what he has already accomplished for you. Does that make sense? That's the best I can do in a short amount of time. And then he says, listen, this last thing um, about forgiveness, this is the same word uh, that, uh, it's a very common word, but it is used throughout the New Testament for forgiveness of sin. And he, he goes on to say in verse 16, he says, confess your sins one to another. I read that as a young Christian. I was drawn, I think I've told you, to Proverbs and James because they're very kind of straightforward, practical writings. So I remember reading that very early on, and I thought, confess my sins one to another. I haven't seen that yet. You know what? I still don't see that as much as I think we should see it. Maybe it's the word confess. Maybe it's embarrassment or shame. I think some reason that we do not confess our sins to one another, maybe it's the lightness or um, simplicity of the relationship, but I think in some cases we really aren't letting go of our sin. I think, I think a lot of us are dragging guilt around. We've hidden it in the corner, put it in the basement or the locker, so, you know, it's like it doesn't get in the way. Nobody else brings it up, so we just kind of deal with it. And we function pretty good. But we're not free of it. And this word has to do 
Well, just like a bill, if you had a big debt and there was a document that was there, if that was torn up, that would represent the complete forgiveness of that debt. And that's the word. That's what, that's what God did in Jesus Christ. Over the years, I've studied this word specifically, this word for confess. I've done a lot of research. I have a document with so many examples. I remember as a new believer reading it, same word in 1 John 1.9, which is a favorite verse of mine. If we confess, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from sin. What a great word from the Lord. But this word confess, what does that mean? Well, it first means to agree with God. See, I don't confess to the Lord uh, what I don't think is sin. You know what I'm trying to say? I have to agree with him. You know, John, that was bad. You shouldn't have done that. So in one sense, it means agree. But more than that, it has to do with seeing it the same way it was often used in agreements, like if we came to a deal, we would both sign there and say, we've agreed to the purchase price of this sale. That's what confess means. You say the same things, you agree. And here's what I think, this is the way we need to translate it because you could translate it in other ways than confess. How about we need to admit our sin to one another? How about we need to agree that we're sinful with one another? Because that's what God said. We need to agree with him. We need to not only admit and agree, but we need to acknowledge that we're sinners, that we're fallible, that we aren't perfect. And you know what I think is at stake? If we're not able to admit that on a regular basis every day because I don't think I'm especially a bad, bad sinner, but I sin every day. And I bet you do too. So just admit it. Break the hold of it on your life. And most importantly, acknowledge the grace of God, that that sin has been dealt with, not so you can repeat it and revel in it, but that you can have victory over it because you're going to move forward in the grace of God in Jesus Christ and in his power. Because you cherish that grace that forgives. You treasure it. It is a precious thing. And it is born of the love of God in Jesus Christ who gave his life for you and me and raised him from the dead that we might have the power of that same love, that same forgiveness, that same gospel in our lives. When you realize you're a sinner, you can't look at others as though they're worse than you. But if you're hiding your sin with a face of righteousness, you feel superior. And it's breaking the power of the gospel in our lives. It's deadening it. People who are so petty in the name of Christ, it's a shame. Why? Because you're so righteous, they've got to be righteous to your standard. That's God's work. Let's get on with living for Christ. Let's get on with lifting his love and showing it and forgiving people and doing just things. Don't sit in front of Fox News and CNN and just drink in all the political stuff. You can't touch that. Vote when it's time to vote. But speak about Jesus not about Obama or Trump. Spend your voice on the Lord. Praise his name. Bring light and life to other people. Make your life count. That's why he says, look at Elijah. Don't ignore his incentives. He says, you can be an Elijah. I don't have time. I'm out of time. 
But let me encourage you to read chapters 17 through 19 of 1 Kings. 1 Kings, chapter 17, verse 1, through chapter 19, I believe it's verse 11. Might be a little bit more. Elijah was just a mountain man. But he worked for God. He did great things. I mean, when you read about Elijah, when you read through chapter 17 and 18, you're going to think, man, this guy, he's, he's more than Steve Austin or, I mean, he's an incredible force. He outruns Ahab's chariot. They, he, the whole nation under Ahab and Jezebel, the, the king and his queen, had turned to Baal, the weather god. So Elijah, in the name and power of God, says, God's going to punish you for this. You need to turn back to him. He's going to prove to you that Baal is nothing but a stone. He has no power over the weather. So Elijah says, there's not going to be any rain for three and a half years. And don't forget, Elijah had to live through that drought too. He met a, a, a widow impoverished, had just enough flour and enough oil to feed her and her son, and then they were going to be in trouble because it put the whole nation, I mean, they they had no way to get the early and late rains that James talked about a couple of, when we were in James a week or so ago. But Elijah multiplied the meager means she had for three and a half years And then he confronted the 450 prophets of Baal. They built their separate altars. And they said, if your, God, if your God is so powerful, have him call down fire on your altar and consume it. He's the God of weather. He's the God of everything there. Do it. And when, when they couldn't, they poured water three times on the altar of the Lord God. And then, boom, fire. And all the people repented except Ahab, the king, which is what Elijah really wanted. Well, then we get into chapter 19, and where do we find Elijah? After doing all these things, in fact, Elijah says to Ahab, he says, you better go home now. Go back to your castle, if you will. Uh, There's a rain cloud coming because God has shown himself, and it's going to rain, and it's going to rain hard. And then Ahab took off in his chariot, and and it says Elijah actually outran him. Man, that's the Steve Austin part, I guess. (laughs) But you see, um, when we find him in chapter 19, Elijah's in a fetal position under a tree in the desert, away from the city, all by himself. And when God speaks to him, he says, Elijah, Now, I mean, you'd think Elijah would be, you know, shaking champagne and popping corks after a victory like that, but he's he's got his elbows and his head between his knees, and he's weeping, and the Lord says, what's wrong? Because Jezebel said, I'm going to find you, and I'm going to kill you. And you'd think... You know, he could say, I'm sure the Lord's going to take care of you too after what he's done. But that wasn't the case. He went through kind of a, a crisis of faith. And you know how God ministered to him? He didn't goad him into doing a bunch of things and proving himself. He came to him and he fed him meals and gave him rest because he had neglected himself emotionally and physically in his pursuit of serving the Lord. And then he raised up Elisha and he says, Elijah, your work is done. You know, all that you did, it's still going to be there when, I'm, when you're gone. And I'm going to show you because Elijah's going to take over from here. You see, the work of God, he does in his power. When we try to assume that power for himself, one last thought. This is from Luke 3. The first, three ver- first two verses, Luke 3, 1 and 2, this is how it begins. Notice this, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, he's the emperor of the whole world, the Roman Empire. 
When Pontius Pilate, in other words, his, his agent is the governor of Judea. Herod is the tetrarch of Galilee. His brother Philip, the tetrarch of Idrea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilena. During, who are the high priests? Who are all the power brokers? See, that's who we're introduced to. Everybody who matters, everybody who has power. And this is what follows those words. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. I just want to leave you with that. You see, God demonstrated to Elijah through acts of great power. They were audacious acts of power. And then he whispered to Elijah in a small voice to teach Elijah that God isn't always to be found or his greatest works in the most audacious things, but in little things. And here you get a litany of the power brokers at the time of the manifestation of the gospel of God in Jesus Christ. And there's a litany of them. And then it says, but who did God work through? A guy named John. And he found him in the wilderness. We stand. I just want to leave with you the thought, I don't know where you see yourself, but what I'm trying to show you through Elijah that James is showing us, that Luke shows us in those verses is that wherever you are, God's ready to use you in ways that would blow your mind. And it just starts with little steps of faith, a willingness to accept his love and to turn to him in prayer to, in a word, bring it to the Lord in prayer. Let me pray for us. I'll be up here with pastoral staff if you would like us to pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for your power in our lives is manifest in your Holy Spirit, which you have made us your children. We cry to you, Abba, Father because we know you and you know us and we belong to you. So we want to have a conversation. And we love you and praise you in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, God bless you.